Making sure my punctuation curve, heavy letter hits true. Living my life in the margin, and that metaphor was proof. I'm talking poetic justice, poetic justice. If I told you that a flower bloomed in a dark room, would you trust it? I mean, you need to hear this. Love is not just a verb, it's you looking in the mirror. Love is not just a verb, it's you looking for it, maybe. Call me crazy, we can both be insane. A fatal attraction is common, and what we have common is pain. I mean, you need to hear this. Love is not just a verb, and I can see power still. Hello, it's Anton. You are listening to On Resistance Radio. We are a Los Angeles-based horizontal media collective. We're going to go around and just introduce ourselves and say our names. My name is Anton again, and I'll start on my left. Esho. Bobby. J-Ray. X. Hello, and welcome, guys. Is there any current events that people want to share or speak on? Uh, I have a current event. Well, I went to, well, Jamer and I, we went to this um, really awesome event called The Future of Abolition, um, Queer and Trans Resistance. And it was, um, I don't know if I can remember all the names. Janet Johnson, um, Cece McDonald, Eric Stanley, Raina Gossett, and Miss Major. Major, But I'm not sure if Miss Major's real name is Janet Johnson. But yeah. Um, so we went and, um, it was really amazing that so many people were talking about, um, just abolition and how they identify as that and just, you know, CC is awesome and like really animated and like really hilarious too. And just real, she's just like a real survivor, um, doing work, uh, in terms of creating programs for people. And yeah, I thought it was a really, it was an interesting conversation i had wished they they actually had questions at the end because i mm. i'm sure like a lot of people had questions for them um, abolition of what uh prison abolition oh. there was just a lot of people who are experienced writers or organizers uh, miss major was a activist from like the 1960s uh who was alongside sylvia rivera and marcia b johnson and um was doing a lot of organizing like against incarceration of trans women because a lot of them were like in prisons for a lot of domestic abuse or you know they were criminalized because they were seen you know sex work was criminalized and a lot of them were in in prison for defending themselves against uh, street harassment so yeah it's very entrenched in the history of uh, trans politics to be against prisons so yeah it was really dope and the women who were speaking were speaking a lot from direct experience so that was really refreshing and they were contextualizing it as abolition in terms of prisons as a direct way to continue slavery. So they were talking about healing communities, not throwing and dividing certain prisoners and throwing certain prisoners under the bus and saying that other prisoners deserve liberation, trying to create like a more holistic way for communities to not turn to the police and just basically saying over and over again, like, we do not turn to the police because the police harm us. We have not experienced anything but harm from the police, so trans women of color cannot turn to the police. You mm-hmm. know, there was a lot of young women of color, young trans people of color. There was also a lot of white people because it was like a USD kind of space, but it was really mm-hmm. respectful and it was good. It says at USC. It wasn't at USC. It was at the One Institute, which is this archive space for LGBTQ history. Mm-hmm. And that space is sponsored. This is like the most rad programming I've ever seen in that space. So hopefully that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, today's topic is language. Just off the top of your heads, what are you guys thinking about language or anything else you'd like to talk about as well? <laughs> Just do a totally different topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
first thoughts on language, I don't know, we've had a lot of discussions on oppressive language, but I feel like by separating some language as oppressive and the rest of it as normalized, it kind of ignores the structure of language is kind of oppressive um, by holding people to, by elevating this one means of communicating, because there are lots of different ways to communicate, and also how language as a structure is used a lot as a barrier in different countries and, and then also like in micro levels of spaces and conversations and then how it's basically a means of access and people have to modify or adapt or assimilate their language to gain access to certain spaces and that's why it's important to for lack of a better word culture jam our language use and not idolize and elevate certain languages and really think about how we use certain language to get credibility and who we're leaving behind when we do that and reassessing basically how we call upon language in our daily interactions and also in something like media or like a radio show where I feel like we should challenge ourselves to think about the words we use and whether they're accessible to people, uh, which I think is why we are, well, I can only speak for myself, like why I'm grateful for us having this conversation, especially if we have this platform. Yeah, language, uh, like most, you know, kind of man-made tools is kind of, they can be disempowering or it can be empowering. It can be used to manipulate or used to liberate depending on the intentions. I feel like there is an inaccessibility of language that is used without care for or consideration of other people, like where they're at in terms of the language they use. Yeah, it does create this kind of exclusion from understanding, and that's also this kind of, I don't want to say neurotypical privilege because that's that's inaccessible, but just in terms of people not being on the same level of understanding, that should always be considered. And it isn't, it isn't always caught or it isn't always learned or unlearned that when people are using certain words or language that people disagree with that is pushing oppression or perpetuating oppression, I feel like it's it's useful to to just like explain why that is. I also feel like the the history of language, well, when it comes to like indigenous people and their take on writing, I know that there are people who actually don't like the idea of of writing, of actually writing down your thoughts, because it's almost like language is used as the servant of reason, and Western reason is so uh, colonized that it's used to name things and manipulate. Hmm. Yeah. When I think about language, I think a lot about how, as a Black person, you have to prove your intelligence all the time to everyone. So you need to always use words that smart people would use, and then you're usually demonized for being able to talk that way if you can talk that way. And your language, because I consider what some people would say AAVE, African American Binocular English, to be a language that's not necessarily recognized in this country. Our language is demonized and considered ignorant, yet everyone wants to use it, right? And I grew up in predominantly white and Asian community, and the second my black would come out, I would be called ghetto. And so it wasn't really okay for me to talk a certain way. I had to be able to talk white, whatever that means. But now I feel more empowered to talk however I want to talk and use my culture's language. I feel like depending on your race, your class, where you grew up, language is either everything or it's just something you don't even think about because you have the privilege to speak the way that people think you're supposed to speak. Did you have something to say? Oh, yeah. Growing up, I 
Spanish was my first language, but I unlearned a lot of Spanish and English as a second language to the point where now I don't really speak Spanish that much. But it's still there. I can still understand people. It's really hard for me to practice Spanish with people who have criticized me for not being able to speak Spanish. So I have this thing about not being able to really speak Spanish with my family. I guess like that's something I have to deal with. But I can understand Spanish and I can understand what's being spoken to me as well. I have conversational skills in Spanish. There's a constant need for me to get approval of my language skills. Like my English comprehension is, it's up to spec, but how's your Spanish? Are you making sure you learn your other languages? I don't really feel the need to learn another white European language that another colonialist group brought to another indigenous community and forced upon them. It's kind of like this line that you have to walk. Yeah, it makes me think about how language isn't just words or just talking to people. Mm. Think about how animals like have to communicate how geese will fly in a formation and they'll switch off depending upon like the terrain and the energy level of a specific geese, but they naturally just switch off and take the lead. They're not speaking, but there is some language that is taking place, them communicating to one another. And I wonder, do we have that ability as well that we don't use? The, uh, the non-language communicating, like our robotic language, how often are we communicating without speaking words? Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot, especially when it comes up to when I'm in, say, my workspace. Like, I have to be really conscious of how I move because I can easily come off um, or be seen as, like, threatening. And I have to be, like, I have to be really, like, careful of making sure if my voice, like, raised. I naturally speak loud because from the culture in which I'm from. My family, my people speak loud. Even back to the indigenous roots of like Africa, we speak loud. I'm recently getting comfortable in my like loudness and being okay with being a loud speaker. And when my family speaking loud, not being embarrassed. I remember being embarrassed <laughs> when it's like, why are they making so much of a scene? <laughs> but then when it's an all black community and everyone's making a scene, you're like, well, they're not making a scene. They're just talking. They're right. just being. They're just being. <laughs> I have consistent pressure on language throughout my daily day. Even through text messages, I'm always like hyper aware of like my language and how I speak to people. And I feel like it's a privilege that some individuals don't have to be consistently aware of the way in which they're communicating. They could just communicate. So yeah, that's something I think about with language and just that pressure or what's internalized inside myself to be embarrassed about my language or the way in which I communicate to like my family and like my friends opposed to like being in a white dominated space and everyone's looking at me and if I move too fast, I can be seen as like a terrorist. <laughs> Go that quick in an airport. <laughs> Especially if I have something like this wrapped around me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think tone's important too when we talk about language because a lot of times you do have to be careful. If I ask someone to do something, like I put on my business voice or white voice or job voice, so I don't come off as threatening or angry or bossy because I think people are just super hyper aware whenever black people do anything. Everyone sees you as an angry black woman, even if you're just trying to break up a concern or a critique, being very hyper aware of not just your language, but your tone and your body and how all of that shows. I'm sorry. I keep doing this. I'm but so why sorry. can't you cuss? Let's why talk about that. Why can't you cuss on the radio? Yeah. You know? I'll cut it out, but I will leave this conversation. <laughs> Basically, I just cussed, and uh, now we're talking about it's, cussing Because it's deemed, like, inappropriate language as for, like, audiences. You the know, FCC. Can't yeah, it can't reach FCC all of, like, all of everybody's language. Or, you know, when people hear 
that word, the F word, or, you know, the S word. It's like they people get shut down, you know, for that, you know, that's a serious consequence. You use that language, then you're just, nope, can't can't use your show anymore, ever again, I guess. Yeah, the we'll media, lose the show. The media is kind of strange, <laughs> especially if you, like, produce adult, if adults are producing adult content for adults, mm-hmm. then it would make sense. It's also this weird culture of propriety and being proper and thinking that if you don't use a certain language aka not cussing, then your ideas aren't valid. Whatever you're trying to communicate is now just dismissed because of how it was packaged. By package, I mean the words that were used to communicate it. You'll see it on discussions online when you use the wrong form of your. Mm-hmm. You know, just not even language and superior language colonization, but grammar, which is this technical aspect of language. You can understand <laughs> what I just wrote, yeah. but you're just trying to not address it. And so language becomes this tool to dismiss people's ideas, and it's particularly people of color's ideas. Mm-hmm. Like libertarian men just dismissing feminist ideas to my mom, who wants to listen to me, but has this enculturated idea of cussing, not being respectful, like discussion or discourse or dialogue or whatever these words are, right? So in order to get her to listen to me, I have to frame it in a way that doesn't use certain language. It's also listening. It's also communication, the spaces we create. So maybe, like, it's interesting how language used relates to listening Mm -hmm. and how do we communicate intent. And, like, all we have are these words that we can kind of try to piece together to communicate our intent. But And then that person will, you know, respond and then communicate. But it's, like meaning like how do we what do we mean and we're using these words as placeholders to kind of try to communicate what we mean yeah it i realize that it's how in predominantly like uh, black spaces if there's a certain like way in which people are like communicating and like diet like uh, dialecting toward each other if you are like used to being in predominantly like white spaces and you come to those spaces or they go to like those spaces just like how i can't communicate in a predominantly like white like space if something goes wrong you know like i can't i can't like really like say that you know um you get uncomfortable like trying to communicate and depending on the space that you are because you don't feel empowered to like say anything and i find that to be like challenging like at work i can't when my boss says something that's incorrect to me i can't say something to him or she if she's upset with me i can't say something to her i have to try to uh, formulate it in a professional way. Like, you have to, I have to write it in a professional way of, you said this to me, um, opposed to if I'm talking to you, a uh, Anton, you call me an idiot, you know, and it really makes me uncomfortable. Whereas my boss called me an idiot, I just can't say you call me an idiot. I have to, like, <laughs> write a whole, like, memo using the proper words of calling you, you calling me an idiot. And it makes me think of the different, like, guess, vernaculars. Like, I have, like, job language, and I have, like, home language if I'm just chilling at my home, you know. I have mom language. So if I'm, like, talking to my mom, Mm. I know not to say certain things Mm -hmm. to my mom, you know. (laughs) And if I say something and she gets upset with me and she gives me a stern talking to or knock me across my head, I know I shouldn't have said my friend language to my mom. Same thing, I got, like, dad language (laughs) or, yeah, work language or school language, so these different like vernaculars that I've developed over time, I don't know where that's what's that about. I used to always 
when I was growing up, people were like, oh, you pronounced this wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I just got to a point where I would just say I have a speaking disorder, so people would leave me alone about the way I would pronounce things. But no, I just didn't pronounce your white supremacist way that you expected mm-hmm. to be pronounced. And I actually like messing with pronunciation now because I like to challenge the way people think things are supposed to be pronounced because who got to say it? this is the way it's pronounced? Who decides that? White people decide that. A lot of times, grammar perpetuates white supremacy and also playing with definitions of words. Like yes. how you understand that word means to you is completely different how it's understood to me. So I always try to ask people, what do you mean by that word? What does that word mean to you? Because if you're going to bust out a dictionary and tell me, oh, you know, it means this, I'm going to tell you that I never looked up that (laughs) definition, you know, so you can hold on to that all you want. I feel like challenging language is what we're talking about. Also, is challenging how white supremacy is used to control people by that way and also dismiss people that way. Because if this isn't your first language, then you can easily be dismissed if you can't pronounce it. I used to teach English in Vietnam. And they would really, really try to get you to focus the students on pronouncing the word perfectly. But there's no point. I've taken years of trying to understand Spanish, and I cannot pronounce words in Spanish the right way. I can't roll my tongue. No matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to roll the tongue. There is this dismissiveness when people are trying to learn another language. If you can't pronounce it the way to someone's native tongue, it's not going to happen. That happens a lot to people who come to this country and try to learn English. And also people who might have been displaced or migrated or colonized um, against their will. It kind of places this thing where you can never access your roots if you can't access this language. And so that like really kind of makes people, I feel like, default to having to identify with colonization because we can't access the language that has been deprived of us. And then now because you can't pronounce it the right way or whatever. Even in like what words are considered, like how words are spelled, I really like messing with how words are spelled, redefining words, Mm. defining words for ourselves, taking it away from the realm of even Wikipedia or Webster's. (laughs) Are they corporations that are now defining our words and what determines that they're legitimate? And then legitimacy, I think, is a huge part because... I was writing something the other day about how instead of participating in the political processes that have been designed by the state to kind of demoralize us, we should be, you know, cultivating organic, like, autonomous spaces, and we should be delegitimizing the state's processes. And every time I type out delegitimizing, it's not a word, Mm -hmm. right? Legitimizing is a word. Like, our system can only ever be legitimized. But we don't have the authority to delegitimize it because that's not a word. You know what I mean? So so it's like every time I got a little red underline and I got to like right click and be like, no, no. this is fine. Yeah. I want to delegitimize. Add you know? it. <laughs> so like just little things like that where like this is discouraged, like we're being discouraged from delegitimizing like language as a power structure. Mm-hmm. I like to play with language in terms of women. How, how I spell women is like W-O-M-Y-N. I feel like you can, in your writing, like emancipate women from man. Because there's always like, patriarchy is just built into almost like a, a lot of words in terms of describing things. So you have like manipulate and you have like menopause and you have, so it's, it's fine with, with playing with the language and just misspelling intentionally. I also feel like it was really empowering in terms of learning how I can describe my particular oppressions um, that were internalized that I didn't have the language for before. And sometimes people are empowered by words that they're they're coming across, that they're like, oh my God, like I, I didn't realize that there's an entire group of people that d- identify as, like, say, trans or gender nonconforming. And then you look up the history of gender nonconforming and they're like a history of peoples who are against all the things that you're against or bear the same social conditions that you have. So 
in some ways, like learning particular vocabulary is like helpful to like name what's oppressing you, I feel, too. Anton? I wanted to bring up that one word that is an invented word is asexual. That's something that has, it's normally applied to creatures or other organisms that are not humans. And that's only recently come into human thought or dialogue. The way that you think of being asexual is you apply this English word that has nothing to do with human sexuality to yourself and then look it up basically on Google or something and you find that there's like this entire community of people and there's this whole history of actually cultures that have asexual people within the culture that they're revered for being asexual, uh, which we don't have now, I guess. Yeah, another, oh. Oh, no, sure, go. Well, another word atta- kind of attached to, to that one in terms of words that were literally just created. Intersectionality wasn't, mm-hmm. it's not an actual word, and this black woman. What is it? Um, well, yeah, <laughs> it it's a word now. now. I mean, right. Yeah, no, it wasn't a word according to the dominant narrative or with according to the the dictionary, and it's like, no, people have been using it for a while now that it has become a a word to us. We're using it. Uh, the woman, I think her name was Kimberly Crenshaw. It was created in the 80s, as well as recently a word, amaton normativity, which means basically romance supremacy. That is everyone basing their life off or their relationships in terms of importance by way of romance or sexual relationships and people who don't ascribe to that particular idea of what relationships should be, this kind of relationship hierarchy. They're oppressed by uh, the privileges that are created within the context of romance and sexuality. Yeah, so that, like, new words, you can make them make them up. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> create. People were <laughs> mad when bootylicious got added to the dictionary. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're just going to let any word in now? Well, you yes. have been doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, like any words all the time. <laughs> That's and like I'm history sorry, of the who dictionary. Sa- who, can, who says that a word gets added to a dictionary? <laughs> it's just so weird. weird. Some guy named Webster who's never died, apparently. Yale. <laughs> 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 well, I'm like, 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 bootylicious. Like, why do people use bootylicious that, you know? Like, why isn't, like, bootylicious? What does it mean? According to the state. You know, I don't know. It makes me think about tone like when it comes to like like words too so like um tone um you can't say that and it makes me think about something as simple as hey boy if a older (laughs) male of african descent says to me hey boy come here i might not get as offended as if it's an older white male say hey boy come here Mm. right Mm -hmm. so taking in who you're speaking to because like you call me hey boy and you are an you know, a European descent dude, I might get upset. I will get upset. <laughs> right. um, only people who call me hey boy now are sheriffs and cops. Um, but sheriffs have called me boy more than cops, <laughs> which is really interesting. So I just think about that and I think about, like, say, like the N word. Mm. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> just, well, we're talking about language. Yeah, no, you know? do it. Do it. I mean, and how there's always a discussion of who can say the n-word and who can't say the n-word truthfully you can say whatever it is that you want is that you're going to run across somebody that if you say something they might punch you in your mouth because of the social context and the way in which you're using the word so i'm not going to get upset if i'm sitting in the room with siblings and they're using the n-word opposed to if i'm sitting in a classroom full of european descent people and they're using the N-word even for intellectual reasons. Or I anyone might, non-black. Right, I'm sorry? 
So, or just non-black people in general. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Non-black people who aren't European think they can get a pass to be able to say it just Word. because they're not white. Mm-hmm. Or if it's in a, a story or like a, a poem or something, somebody once, a white person was reading it and they said it in their poem and like people were like, uh, <laughs> like you're just gonna, like that's your yeah. their, your way to say it. Artistic Little Wayne reasons. said it, yeah. Little Wayne or, said it Or when you're around, when you're saying it around people who aren't black, then they're just like, yeah, blah, blah, and then they say it, and then you're like, no, this is why we just shouldn't say it in front of, yeah. And my sister uses the N-word, and I'm, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't like saying the N-word. I know that I have comrades and friends who say it. I actually went up to um, Oakland recently to visit Quilombo, and they have a thing where it's a predominantly black space now, and it used to be a predominantly white space, and they really did a lot of work to bring in more people from the actual community. And every single time they say the N-word, they do 10 push-ups or something, and I was like, wow. So that's pretty cool, because they're like, we don't want to, we're trying to like get it out of our language because it is historically oppressive or whatever, but that's that's still debatable because there's still the acronym, which means... Some well, people the use the acronym. And, yeah, it's the A and then it's the E-R. Mm-hmm. And it is... I don't even like having this like conversation specifically when I'm like in social situations because it's a waste of my time and energy. But there is a difference with, the, with E-R and A. It pulls up something differently in me when I hear someone says N-I-G-G-E-R opposed to when someone says N-I-G-G-A. Now, mm-hmm. I choose not to use the word because I choose not to use many words. I actively choose not to use... Um, certain words, but the N-word has never been a word I use naturally. Now, my siblings or my cousins or the guy who lived down the street from my mama or my daddy may use, like, the N-word, but it's completely different if I'm in a predominantly non-black space and everyone, you know, saying, what up, my N? Mm-hmm. I've had people in my current neighborhood, you'll hear them talking to each other. And they're like, chill, my N, my N, chill, my N, chill, my N. And you're like, what? what is going on out there? <laughs> like, what's going on? Why are you guys talking to each other like that? And it's not because black people are the N-word. And it's not because I think that the reason that only black people can say the N-word is because we are the N-word. It's more so because it is a word historically used to brutalize and to demonize. And that at any time, a person who isn't black can get mad at me and say the N-word and believe that they have won the conversation or believe they have dehumanized me enough to say the word, you know, just to hurt me. And I'm a person who might not be phased by it, but psychologically, I don't know what that's perpetuating. It's really a tense conversation when it comes up to the N-word for me. Yeah, I don't know. I get bothered if you're not black and you say it with the A, I feel just as bothered and uncomfortable. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Then if you say it with the ER. Honestly, I feel like when I hear non-black people say it with the A, I'm like, oh, you want to say it with the ER, but you know you can't say it. I understand why you would go somewhere where they don't want to have the word and we do a push-up every time you use it because I saw this thing on Tumblr and the person was like, oh, you don't ever hear rappers saying cracker, saying cracker this, cracker that. I was like, can we say cracker on the air? Can you say that? Is that going to get bleeped out? Even though in no way or form are those two words equal. No one's been shot for being a cracker. No one's ever been killed for being a cracker. No one's ever not gotten a job for being a cracker. I don't even know where that word even comes from. It's this false equivalency of it having some sort of historical pain, but it doesn't. It's just created just so people can justify why they use the N-word. I understand the reasoning of almost wanting to not have it in the music because it is uncomfortable when non-black people are listening to music and they're bumping it and every other word is N-word. There's this one song where it's like, my N-word. And I remember it playing and I'm the only black person in the space at this Mm. bar and everyone's singing along to this song. (laughs) 
What are they thinking in their head when they look at me? How all of a sudden my environment feels very dangerous. And anywhere that has that much power shouldn't be used casually, especially with the music industry. A lot of it is perpetuated and controlled by the same people that create prisons. So when you just think of what is perpetuated and what is mostly keeping that word used, why is it being used? Mm-hmm. It's on. The flip side of that, too, is the demonization of people who use that word casually. Because I think it is, there is a culture of black people, for example, in my high school, who would use that word casually with each other. I feel like white people feel kind of entitled to call out when black individuals use the N-word, and they feel less entitled to call it out when non-black individuals use the N-word. Yeah, I think about how I hear, I was raised around all black people, so all black people said the N-word around me. And it's like, well, when you in your neighborhood, around the people you grew up with, maybe you'll get that past. Yeah. But like when you step out of the, in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you gotta realize it's a social thing because people will have a certain understanding. I grew up and I had a white boy in our neighborhood and I don't actively remember him using the N-word to be honest, but I can totally see how he would have gotten a pass to say it, but it's like, hey, white boy, just because five of us told you you can use the word when you're around us, or none of us actually actively felt empowered to say anything to you, mm. um, to like, not mm-hmm. use it doesn't mean when you leave outside your community somebody is not going to say hey don't use the n-word and just really quick bobby you said the music industry mm-hmm. also the movie industry it's like quentin tarantino and his uh, movies he's probably said the n-word more on screen in our current society than any <laughs> other person consistently uh, since we've been alive yeah f him Yes. He just says, he says the N-word and, you know, everything. He can, he can get away with it. He can write it. He writes it. He writes it consistently because he writes his things. So it's like, it's also a class aspect of who can get away with saying certain things. So if you're in the movie industry, it's okay if you write N-words. Yeah, it's okay if you're a music <laughs> writer and you write the N-word for uh, individuals to say. Mm-hmm. So there's like also like a class, like capitalism reinforces everything else as well. Um, so if you come from like high class, you can get away with saying it maybe in a social setting or a professional setting. Then uh, someone who like resembles you can say in a in Delhi society, like no one's gonna call Quentin Tarantino out <laughs> and say Quentin Tarantino, hey, you're not supposed to. We say just this. did, yeah. We just did. You've been called out. <laughs> <laughs> you. On the list, Quentin. And Spike Lee would have made a better Django. Oh, totally. Ooh, <laughs> that's true. Go. We're talking about reclaiming words, like slut, oh, she, yeah, do you use the B word or not? Because we can't say, I don't know even if we could say, I don't even know what words we could say. What can we say? Can we say? bleeped out Yeah, I got bleeped out for saying I have So this is all going to be beep, 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 beep. I've heard discussions about reclaiming I'll just say the S word just in case we can't say it on the air. I think that some people feel more comfortable with reclaiming it, and I feel like it tends to be white women because the W-H-O-R-E word and the S word were predominantly used for black women. And it's just interesting when we talk about reclaiming and who feels comfortable reclaiming certain words. And then you should call KPFK and ask them why you can't say S-L-U-T on the air. Well, um, it's not up to KPFK. It's up to those other dudes, No, right? it is up to KPFK because if someone calls KPFK and is like, oh, I heard this lewd behavior, I don't want to, it depends how much that listener who calls who says something wants to push it. They can or report or not. you to the yeah, FCC see. and then K- the institution of KPFK would get fined. Yeah. And then... Mm-hmm. 
you know, if it costs them more money under capitalism, then they're yeah. less likely to cover our voices. Yeah, but we would just be dropped because who cares about on resistance at <laughs> 7 o'clock on Fridays? <laughs> but just the point about the S word is that is queer being reclaimed? Is that a recent thing? Queer was always kind of this, well, it first started out as a dehumanizing derogative term, and then it was reclaimed because people were like, yeah, we are people who deviate from heteronormativity. So it was pretty much used within movements as an umbrella term to like identify as anything that deviated from heteronormativity, which is a lot of things. So yeah, there was a lot of people who did reclaim the word queer and like even there was like a Simpsons episode about that like where Homer was like yeah you all are using the word queer now to like you know claim yourselves when that was a word we used to use against you to make fun of you and it's Mm -hmm. like that happens and when it does happen I think it's important for I don't know because like yeah that's a that's a tricky thing because I'm fine with people calling me identifying me as queer because it's an empowering thing but then there's other words like the B word or like the F word, for example, F A G G O T. Oh, there's F word. I know there's F L A. There's F A G G O T, and it's I don't know if I can say that on the air either. Um, you just spell all of them. For I now. know, right? <laughs> can, so you can spell can you words. Spell words though? <laughs> I Let's can. Find the loophole, but yeah, just in terms of like after dark when. Well, I feel like when words are so packed with like a history of violence used against mm-hmm. people and yeah. how it is and still is has like embedded histories of violence within it so that's why if a white you know person called me the n-word i would be very very tricky because like i grew up being called the n-word by teachers and students and it was really it was really awful and then other even my like filipino people would even call me an n-word in a derogative and like it hurts you know so when you have the F-A-G-G-O-T word, it's very, it can be very triggering to queer people, but there are some queer people that are like, you know, like, no, I am that, you know, I can, I can use that, apply it to myself and maybe even apply it to like other people. But if I hear a straight person use that language, you know, there's going to be beef, there's going to be a call out because it, it's different in the context of where it can perpetuate oppression or alienate people. Yeah. It makes me think about social settings again, because in some like social settings, say like when it comes to say the B word or the F A G G O T word, there is a different intent behind how people like use it, and it's sticky. I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. It's just I know some people who use the B word like consistently, who is not necessarily um, called like <laughs> actually like Santa specifically to uh, like say a um, to a female body individual, but when you ask them what do you mean by the word and like it, it it will probably most likely lead back to the root of how B is used to dehumanize female bodies. But the a lot of people use, I think, language and words without thinking mm-hmm. why they use words. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about N-A-G-G-A and N-A-G-G-E-R again because N-A-G-G-A, I think is a completely different defined word. Like in AGGA, I feel like a common struggle when you're saying it to another person of African descent or a black person is like, some people identify as like a common struggle that you and I can only understand. So I'm calling you N-I-G-G-A because you hear me and I know you know what I mean when I say, what up my N-I-G-G-A? Opposed to N-I-G-G-E-R, which you know was ignorant, I guess, um, whatever N-I-G-G-E-R means. I don't even know what it means. 
What's the definition of that? I think it means ignorant. It does. Ign- it is that's, ignorant. Okay. That's what the. But isn't? Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> but I know that. Is it defined in Webster? White, <laughs> in 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 Africa, when you had I forget which tribe it is, but they use the tone, the like language of the clicking um, language. I know that whites called them Hottentot as like a as like a derogative oh, uh, right. because it was like just gibberish to them and they didn't think they were saying anything to mm-hmm. each other, but it was an actual like real language um, that had like so much complexities to it. And they were just like, no, they're, you know, they are this word that is, you know, supposed to mean like something really derogatory and offensive. Um, like the country Nigra is actually, some argue is pronounced the other way. So I don't even know if I can say it even when it's a country. Well, no. Because, like, I know some, like, like some people from, like, the country of Niger would actually pronounce it, and I just, the way in which you spell, like, pronounce the other one. But when they come here to America and they realize how it's used, <laughs> they pronounce it Niger. <laughs> so, like, even people, like, who's, like, from, mm. like, a place. Right. Uh, when it comes to reclaiming the term queer, there was an entire movement that was about liberation that developed around that term to create and disempower how it was used, and also to combat white feminist theory that didn't include queer liberation. So I think that because of how participatory it was, like that's why it's more like accepted as like a reclaimed word. I also think when it comes to like the B word and stuff like that, depends who uses it and it does depend on intent. I don't appreciate the way I hear it a lot in music because it's always attached to like sexualization and dehumanization for the most part. But I understand why people use it. And also at the panel yesterday, I thought it was actually pretty cool that black trans women of color were using it to identify themselves as bad A word, B words. (laughs) 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 And then, but I also think that when it comes to language, if you're in a space with someone and you're sharing space with someone, you're dialoguing or your body (coughs) energy, if someone just communicates that they're uncomfortable with the word, regardless of where you are on it politically, w- does it harm you not to use it around them? You know what I mean? Like, if they say, cool, but, like, I just get really uncomfortable when I hear the B word. Because I do, because I don't really, like, I trust y'all, but, like, mm-hmm. in just random space, I don't, I can't just trust everyone's intent because mm-hmm. of how that word has been used. So, you know, it makes me uncomfortable, you know? So I feel like cultivating mutual respect is more important than, like, enforcing your political ideology of a word on someone who has specifically already communicated that, but also always open a dialogue about words and meanings and definitions. What about like a t- understanding, being aware of like the way, way in which people say things. If I tell you something makes me uncomfortable and- Like if you don't understand and you want more information. Right, or like that person just can't like, in that moment can't understand. Well, like, that's happened just, like, to us, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Where, where we've been like, hey, uh, this word is actually problematic. And mm. then they'll like, oh, you mean this word? You know what I mean? And then they'll like say it a couple more times. And I feel like that is not, like, if someone's not listening, is that what you mean? Or someone's not understanding. Well, that's different. That's so, like, I feel like when someone intentionally keeps using mm-hmm. a word to, like, mm-hmm. aggravate you, opposed to someone as a part of their language or, like, their dialect, and they continue to use the word unconsciously, uh, like, around you. And they just, you know, and... Like what word? Say, like, the B word, like, specifically B word. Because um, the N word, like, the, I, I, don't, I don't have any sympathy for it, <laughs> to be honest. And it's not that I don't have any sympathy with, like, the B word, but, like, say, like, a woman of like African descent, black woman, she can be, you know, an NB. You're right, you know, like so, like it's still root and still people associate more of a dehumanizing word. I think that or not more than dehumanizing word, but yes, huh? I mean, oh well, yeah, more. Dehuman- I, uh, yes, yeah, more dehumanizing <laughs> word than the the B word. So 
Mm-hmm. I think that generally some people will use like words unconsciously and it's part of their language, but that's completely different than someone who's like intentional is like, well, I want to use this word. So why can't I say that word? So yeah, it's like, I guess, understanding. I also think that being aware of systemic oppression, like racism supersedes like your language preferences also. Cause if I'm uncomfortable about a word, but that doesn't mean I should feel entitled to check like people of color's language all the time. You know what I mean? So like, even if I'm uncomfortable with the word, if I communicate it once, that's cool. Cause like we're friends or whatever we are in a space. But if I'm like gonna be on you about it, like that's not like, I have no right to be entitled about that. It's about mutual respect and it's about being aware of intersecting oppression. And just, I would like, I would just prefer to be heard. Cause like you can feel people's intent. Someone lobs a word at you versus around you. And then there's, like, language Nazis. People say la- you're being language Nazis for, like, for bringing up. For yeah, for, like, not wanting to hear certain oppressive words or language. Um, yeah. Hmm. I feel like it's, it's more so just wanting to, being worried about alienating people when you use, like, certain language. Like, it's, it's not cool. <laughs> just something that I wanted to say or address is that one of the ways in which I've kind of dealt with language is that I've never been gay enough, I guess, to be gay, like the word gay. Before I got a Tumblr, I didn't know there was any genders other than male and female. And I didn't know that there was any other sexes than straight or gay. Mm-hmm. So that really was one of the things that opened me up, I think, to learning about some of these things and especially thinking about things in a queer way. I think what you guys were saying before was on point about kind of this white queerness or, or white feminist or white radical sort of sensibility of denying people access based on how do you meet the criteria for gay necessarily? Can we fight for your rights? Maybe you're not all the way gay. Maybe this is just a phase for you, you know, or something. Of what struggles are worth people struggling for. I think a lot of it too is meeting people where they're at is really important. One of the things that I'm remembering as we're talking about this is when I first started interacting with some of the individuals who I do the radio show with, I still use the B word. And I distinctly remember several times where I would use the B word and I'd be like, oh, sorry. Because I was actually deconstructing, I was actually learning something, other people were sharing with me their experiences and I was changing and reacting to that. So I think it's a process too. Okay, well, I'm sorry, maybe I'm using that word too much. That's kind of lost in these white feminist spaces. You can grow out of these old habits or like maybe this is not a habit for you and this is actually just the way in which you define your sexuality and there's no English word for it yet. So, you know, there's also working around people's like struggles as well. Decolonization is also not recognized in the the language of the oppressor, (laughs) Um, which is interesting because that's, I mean, that's, you know, when you talk about processes of decolonization and unpacking or unlearning and unpacking how so much language is coded in white supremacy and heteronormativity and patriarchy and not wanting to be able to propagate that with with your words. Because when I hear, when I hear the B word, I want to hear the N word, and then when I hear the BN word, because a lot of there's this popular thing where people will be like, oh, that B N-word, and it's supposed to describe, it's supposed to demasculate, and it's more aimed towards black men. Interesting how, yeah, all this language is, is used, and it's usually to, in some way, shame or some way dehumanize. So it's like, why are we trying to dehumanize each other um, with our language? I think people feel just so used to that it's some something that maybe it's some some in some way part of like how they cope or you know it's obviously so being socialized into that but any final thoughts bobby do you want to well i was going to start talking about language as how words can be violent 
how there's different ideas of what violence is too. And then that goes back to what we're talking about, like definitions and interpretations of things. But then depending on, some people could call you a B word and that word is seen as more violent, but someone with a wider vocabulary can say something that could be a more violent word than just saying the B word, but because they can mask it in language, it doesn't seem or appear to be as violent. And so I think a lot of times when we think about rap music, but a lot of times other music doesn't get brought up. So it's always looked as rap is violent, but then if you look at a lot of rock music, they're saying they dehumanizing or objectifying things about women also. Country music. Yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. It can be like a cur of an Apple John, you know? (laughs) That's like really bad. That's like a really offensive thing to say. And like, if you, yeah. (laughs) So it's just interesting how all the things come to play. I wanna, I really wanna have another chance to talk about the whole feeling not queer enough in like a, in another setting where we have time. I really liked this topic and I think it brought up a lot of things and it kind of made me want to talk about naming our conditions. Like language is a tool that we use to name our conditions mm-hmm. to kind of try to take power from the oppressor and there's a lot of backlash against communities of color or oppressed communities in general for daring to try to be able to name their own conditions. You know? Identity and like, politics. Yeah, or create theories like decolonization or like intersectionality mm-hmm. and because the only spaces that are made available to oppressed communities to learn that are white ivory tower academic spaces. There's almost a backlash of white supremacy discounting communities for naming their own conditions because of how it sounds. So I don't know, how do we encourage the naming of conditions, but also question the spaces that control how Mm -hmm. that theory is developed? Because mainstream white leftism, you know, anarchism, socialism, communism, a lot of like European <laughs> influences there, definitely not practiced only by Europeans, definitely named, you know, only to be named and recognized by European context. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that theory belongs to the white mm-hmm. masthead and white supremacy. Just a quick response to that. I also think it's a good way that people are able to find solidarity under these names or labels. I just think of Tumblr. You go on Tumblr and you're able to search and find different communities. And so it's by that word or whatever, you're able to find other people that feel some sort of influence or association with that word. Word. And, and because we all can be each other's <laughs> oppressors, dialogue is like really important. Make sure that we're not misreading a language, body language, or even the words that we're using. And when it comes up to just the show topic in general and like the supremacy of language, a food for thought, ask yourselves, um, why is Webster's Dictionary called Webster's, Webster's Dictionary and Urban Dictionary is called Urban Dictionary? Mm-hmm. What is that about? Mm-hmm. I think you already know. <laughs> <laughs> and why is theory recognized and named by mostly white men? Yeah. Like, or it's it was created by black queer women, but then you know yes. expropriated or just like everything. Yeah, was created by black people. <laughs> well, like okay, that's a good true. point. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, we're like, laughing, but it's true. For no, example, so true. <laughs> for example, like anarchism. Anarchism uh-huh. is like something that was probably created by like black indigenous, or indigenous like cultures people in, general. in general. Yeah, that yeah, that was given a word, an mm-hmm. English name. Yeah, well, like that's everything. That's everything. Yeah. Colonialism didn't exist, and you, anarchism as we know it wouldn't exist because I it just, would just be horizontal. Practice. I just. Mm-hmm. Like, uh. I just find it really problematic when you have this distinction between like, cause like white, you know, Western um, ideas are always, there's this dualism between like uh, 
civilization versus like primitivism or primitive, mm-hmm. you know, living. They're just trying to to always make these distinctions. Even Marx did that where he, you know, appropriated indigenous culture and called it primitive communalism. I know Marx because they forced you to read it in high school. There's a lot of But I don't know about him and I don't care about him. We have a lot of comrades. Oh wait, there's a show about that on SoundCloud.com on Dash Resistance. Yeah, I just wanted to thank anyone for listening. Just to join us next week uh, on our new show time, which is Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. Also, like us on Facebook, which is on facebook.com slash onresistanceradio. If you can find it, the feds might be hiding it. Also, follow us on Twitter, <laughs> which is onresistance. At onresistance, at onresistance LA. LA. Or follow us on Tumblr, which is onresistanceradio.tumblr.com. So we're going to be releasing <laughs> actual video recordings slash podcasts of our recorded shows. You could check us out on YouTube. On Resistance Radio. Go on the journey with us. Go on the journey with us. <laughs> um, we would like to give a shout out to the camera people. Hey, See, I've been around the world like the gnome, but I come from a zone where the homes all beat up. The folks unknowns and the stones all beat up. Police tap my phones, got my songs on speaker. Say he's back the poems, got their domes all geeked up. To get up on their thones and become young leaders. Oprah put it on my culture, now if that ain't wrong. I just got it from the rhymes, now if that ain't blown. They gave my man 44, now if that ain't long. I put it all on my shoulders, now if that ain't strong. I made it out alive from the streets of the West Side, CHI. Now if